This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a 1,000 tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and L.A. bid on iOS developers, providing them with salary and equity up front. The average iOS developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary offer of $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they also give you a $1,000 bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the iFreaks link, you'll get a $2,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept a job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash iFreaks. Hey, everybody, and welcome to a special episode of iFreaks for WWDC. This week on our panel, we have James Zuber. Hello, I'm coming from Altcom today. Caleb Hicks. Hey, from sunny San Francisco. Lane Mosley. Hello there. I uh, stayed in Utah to watch everything from my couch. And I'm Andrew Madsen, also at home in Salt Lake City, uh, taking the week off so I can just sit around and watch sessions all day. We thought we'd we'd do a special episode here for for WWDC. Uh, As we record, it's the, the day after the keynote, so we've had a little time to digest and read through and try to learn about all the new things have watched a few sessions and uh just thought it would be fun to fun to talk about what we think and what we're excited about so we can't cover everything but this is the stuff that stood out to us we're just going to read the transcript from the state of the platform and just go for that yeah and we'll, we'll do all the accents too perfect that should that should go well <laughs> so jame why don't you start us off what kind of stuck out to you about the keynote and about the state of the union yesterday so I think everyone had really high hopes for what was coming out from the keynote and the State of the Union. And I don't think it, they delivered a, a whole lot. It, they brought in a bunch of stuff, a bunch of small things. I think delivering the big App Store news a week before, everyone thought that something huge was coming. And I don't think we really got anything like that. But there was a lot of cool things. And one of the things that I thought was pretty powerful and pretty indicative of how we're going to write apps in the future is the different extensions they introduced talking about uh, map extensions, lock screen, we've got Siri SDK, messages extensions. And those are pretty subtle things, but those are ways to interact with code, with what we're writing, without explicitly going to an app. So I think that is where I think a lot of development is going. And it's cool to see Apple's approach to that. Andrew, we were in Build, and they did a lot of stuff with their bots and their artificial intelligence with the the Cortana-type stuff. So it's cool to see Apple bring out their play for interacting with code without drilling into an actual app because there are a lot of there's a lot of functionality we can do with development that doesn't need to be an app because I have way too many apps as it is. I literally use Spotlight to look up my find my phone app on my iPhone last week and I facepalmed. But it's got to that point where I don't know where anything is anymore and I don't want any more apps. But there's still cool stuff I'd like to do with my phone. So I think this gives us some opportunity to experiment with that and find some cool things. Yeah, I think if I had to sort of pick a theme for the keynote this year, um, it was that Apple is is really serious about something they started in iOS 8 two years ago where you know their first sort of baby steps into this were the, the ability for developers to make custom keyboards. Um, and I probably will get my history a little wrong here, but they, you know, added some support for like image editing extensions and just started to open up a little bit to do the kind of, to let developers do this kind of non-app extensions that uh, weren't really possible at all before. And it seems like they're just going full speed ahead with that and opening up further and further every year now. And 
it's pretty exciting because I think it um, it makes it so developers will be able to offer whole new you know, experiences. Make hopefully make it so that using your phone is just a better experience altogether. I'm a little concerned by the Siri API because I think everybody was really excited for that and was in you know everybody was anticipating that and it had been rumored and it it is exciting but it turns out it seems fairly limited. It's only a certain classes of features that you're allowed to you know use with Siri like ride hailing and I don't even remember workouts and I, I don't have the list in front of me, but it's not just any old thing a developer could think up. Yeah. We're, we're kind of bummed out about it, honestly, because, you know, we had some pretty good ideas for uh, implementing Siri kit and our app, but you know, we don't fall into those domains, but at the same time, like given Apple's focus on privacy and everything, I think it makes sense for them to do baby steps again. And that's what they like to do. And so picking a couple domains uh, as a start is probably a good approach for them. I think this is exactly the type of scenario where Apple wants to start small and add things as they figure out the right way to do it. If you just open up the API wide open to everybody all at once, it's going to be really hard to monitor and keep control over that, especially with the, the intent system and the way that's set up right now. It would have been really hard to do all at once without there being some bad players taking advantage of it. There were a lot of rumors before the keynote about Apple possibly releasing their own sort of Siri version of the Amazon Echo, like a standalone hardware device that you put in your house and is Siri. And they didn't, they didn't announce anything like that, which to me doesn't mean they're not going to it. it, They they didn't, didn't announce any hardware whatsoever. Which is actually, people were saying, well, that's normal, but it's actually not normal. They've very often released hardware at WWDC, the Retina MacBook Pro, uh, I know was, and there's been other stuff since then. But, you know, it could be in fall they announced that thing and they've got, hey, more new stuff because you can write Siri integrations for the Apple, whatever the thing, whatever they call it, you know, the Apple Echo. The mothership. Yeah, right. Oh, that would be cool, right? <laughs> <laughs> a miniature version of the Mothership Campus. I like a lot of the things that they announced kind of along these same lines with extensions and basically having portions of your app throughout the operating system is, you know, the more focus that they're putting on NS user activity and just other different ways to include your app in different places. So it's not just in the... Uh, suggested apps for the, you know, the spotlight list or, you know, data from your app can be used in, you know, text fields that are looking for information about people or information about locations. And, and so there's a lot of cool stuff where your app can really be a good platform citizen and provide data, but also become more useful in different areas of the operating system. Yeah, that makes sense. I think the days of your app being an island are are limited. Like even within one company, you might be switching between different apps, you know, opening URLs. And right now, that is a little bit bulky for a lot of things, and it's difficult to do seamlessly. You know, I even open a URL for a Yelp or LinkedIn, and it doesn't go to the right place. And I've I've implemented that code, and it's difficult to do like correctly because you have to really think out your kind of UI layouts. But it's cool to see like our code, our apps are going to be like one little piece in the system that kind of integrates with other things. Uh, Google's new Gboard keyboard came to mind yesterday because the whole new messages extensions kind of does away with the need for their keyboard. And uh, 
I don't know. I just found that interesting because that's a good example of an app that doesn't actually need to be an app anymore. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to feel sorry for Google, although that Gboard, I haven't tried it, but I've heard some cool stuff about it. Oh, I love the thing. It's amazing. I thought one of these integration points that they announced that I thought was pretty cool is is they're actually opening up that they're releasing something they call call kit and they're opening up essentially they're opening up the phone app to be extended by developers so if you if you make a voice over IP app like Skype or, or or a messaging app like WhatsApp or something you can actually integrate that so that it works basically like the phone currently only the phone app has been able to work in, in the sense that you can get calls on the lock screen and answer them um, if you're looking at your list of contacts in the phone app you'll have the option to contact them using third party voice over IP or messaging apps and it looks like they've made it so you can set I don't know if it's implicit or explicit but you can set a preferred way to contact a particular contact and then you know so it may be that calling them with your actual cell phone is not the the normal way that you contact some person and and they respect that so now you might choose to call somebody on Skype every time you call them. Today they made it sound like that was going to be kind of learned over time if you're consistently calling someone using a specific platform that that's what would show up when you try and call them. That's that's at least the way that I heard it. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I was sort of barely watching that session. I mean, I was watching it, but I was doing other stuff. So so I, I haven't looked at this. I'm wondering if, you know, Google's new Duo app is going to be able to do what they want it to do with the creepy call screen uh, where oh, it's, yeah. it's displaying the person on the other side before you answer it. I, I haven't looked at the API for that, but I, ha- I haven't I'm either. guessing no, but could be interesting. Yeah, I mean, I sort of hope that it was a not very customizable UI on the lock screen that it basically used the 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 systems UI for phone calls or whatever, and you know, you could hook into it in your app in the same way that you might hook into the audio player controls or something now where you're not customizing them. You just can make them control your app. So we'll see. I I certainly hope, well, I'm not going to install that app if it does that. So I guess I don't really care. So with all these extensions in the lock screen, at what point do we need like a second lock screen that actually is locked and doesn't have a full app on there? Is that coming in next in WWC well, 2020. Well, that that actually brings up something interesting. I installed iOS 10 the beta on on uh, a test phone, and um, they they've actually changed the way the lock screen works fairly significantly. For one thing, you don't at least on a device with Touch ID, which mine has, slide to unlock is not a thing anymore, and that's been around since the original iPhone shipped. Now you press the home button to unlock, and you can rest your finger on the home button to you know to activate Touch ID, and then after it recognizes your finger, it will say press home to unlock or it'll prompt you for your passcode if you know if touch id isn't set up or whatever and then you can swipe instead of sliding to unlock the the lock screen is swipeable and on the left of the lock screen is the new sort of notifications part of the lock screen where it shows well it's actually more like widgets i guess not not really notifications i i think that notifications show up on the regular lock screen and then you can swipe to the right to get to the camera so they really have changed the way the lock screen works altogether Great. Now I need a manual to learn how to use the lock screen again. Fantastic. Yeah. Oh, it's not as bad as it sounds. If you were playing with it, it would be more intuitive than my bad description just now. Well, so this is, of course, a big theme extension that, you know, all these new points for extensions. And I think um, this is going to be something that unfolds as, as developers get to use this stuff. And I will, you know, sort of evaluate in six months whether I'm actually using any of this as a user. 
not just excited about it as a developer. But there was a bunch of other stuff announced too, and uh, I wonder, I wonder what stood out to you, Lane. Oh man, there were so many cool things. One of the things though that I loved most, and I hope it works as well as intended, was the uh, memory debugging that they showed in Xcode. That looked just fantastic. Um, I've used you know the the allocations debugger in instruments for years and years and found all sorts of useful stuff. But, you know, the things they showed were, they just looked kind of like the next generation of that, you know, where they're actually showing the relationships of who is managing who in a kind of an object graph. That was really neat, really, really excited and hopeful that that works as well as they showed. Yeah, it, sure, it certainly looked impressive. Just the it, it, the ability to visualize graphically the, the sort of your object graph and the relationships between objects was a huge thing because we've all had that picture in our minds, right? As we've tried to debug these kinds of issues, but we didn't really have a tool that would actually show us that in instruments you could work it out, but it's not exactly intuitive. Yeah, when they were announcing this, everyone's like really excited and they clapped and hooted and hollered, and I was tempted to do that. Then I realized that. For any app of any real size that you've been hacking on for six months to a year, you can't even do debug printing in a lot of cases. So I'm a little skeptical this is going to be usable for anything other than trivial apps, at least initially. But that'd be awesome if it comes. Yeah, I hope that's not true. But I do know the pain of debugging in Swift. It's so bad. So we'll see. I'm hopeful. Uh, there's another thing that had me really excited that I actually just watched in, a, in one of the videos that they were streaming. Collection views and table views have a new data prefetching protocol um, that they're introducing where it will ask for data beforehand before they actually display it on the screen. And that sounds like an amazing performance boost. Sounds awesome. And they, okay, said, so they said that's free for apps. Just mo for most people, it will just be a thing you get yep, by rebuilding. Yep, exactly. So they're going to prefetch grabbing the cells and then they're also going to do prefetching of the data. So if you have, you know, any network requests, like say like a little image you need to load in a table view cell, like they'll send you, you know, a message saying, hey, we're going to be loading this cell. Is there any data that you need to load? And so that, that can speed up that kind of stuff too. I mean, it's, it's really cool. Some really good improvements there. Yeah, it'll be a fun trick to try out the betas and see if you can mess it up. Yeah. Scroll really fast, stop, scroll slow. Yeah, really and see if you can get the crash. That'll be awesome. Seems like a nightmare to implement that kind of stuff. You know, really, really tough. But it, if it works well, I'm excited about it. Mm -hmm. I'm as we speak writing a little test app to see how it works, but eh, it just crashed. So <laughs> good start. <laughs> yeah, we're off to an excellent start. Andrew for the win. <laughs> Andrew won Apple zero. Right. <laughs> oh, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. It actually leads me into the stuff I wanted to talk about. I, you know, well, my my perspective is all, as always uh, as a Mac developer, which has become kind of a rare breed among WWDC watchers. But I was watching for new stuff on the Mac and in AppKit, and of course, besides the name change, which I am sure I'll get used to, but I, I'm not so happy about the lowercase M. Uh, I thought there was some. Some nice stuff. It was. It's definitely not a huge release for developers, but it's kind of an incremental one. And um, at this point, OS 10 is so mature. Well, sorry, I should say Mac OS is so mature that uh, that's 
mostly what we expect. There was a lot of good new stuff that actually applies to both iOS and macOS, like, for example, all of these tools updates that we're talking about. But um, the two things that that I thought were really cool in AppKit were uh, they added support for tabs, which they they showed in the keynote as a UI um, feature, and it is a UI feature, but the, the really cool thing is that it's actually super, super easy for developers to implement. And in fact, for whole classes of apps, developers need to just they literally need to do nothing i installed the mac os um, sierra beta and ran my own mac app i did not even recompile it i just literally downloaded it from my website and ran it and tabs already just worked and so that's pretty impressive that's coco at its best where i don't have to do anything at all and i get this big new ui feature and of course there there is some api there you know if you need to customize things or doing something a little out of the ordinary but uh, for NS document based apps in particular, it's just completely free. And then there's one class that didn't really get it got it was mentioned in the What's New in Coco session today, uh, which I actually missed. So, um, but I did some experimenting with it, and and that's NS Grid View. This is basically like an NS Stack View, except that it's 2D, so it lets you lay out things in rows and columns uh, instead of just one direction. And it seems like it's pretty well done and pretty advanced. You can you know, change alignments and centering. You can make, you can merge cells kind of like in, in an Excel spreadsheet where you might have a row where you you just want one column in, in a, a single row, but then all the other rows have, you know, more columns or whatever. So it looks like it's quite powerful and flexible. Uh, the bad news is that at least in the beta, there is zero support for it in Interface Builder. Even importing the header for it gives you an error because they don't seem to have made it part of the module map for AppKit yet. And I couldn't even get it to work. It just hung in internal code when I tried to do anything with it. So I think it's not completely ready yet. But um, that's cool. And, and my hope is that like auto layout as a whole, it's kind of a Mac on the Mac right now. And then maybe next year they'll bring it to iOS because I think it would be useful there too. Do, do you see it being a lot different than Collection View? Yeah, so uh, the grid grid view is is not for sort of dynamic. From what I can tell, it's not for really dynamic, you know, kind of long lists of stuff. So I would say NS grid view is to NS stack view as NS collection view is to NS table view. So it's more like grid view is like a stack view. It's for doing your your apps layout, UI layout. Oh, I see. That makes so sense. So sim- similar to the stack view that we now have on iOS, but right. I mean, not similar in functionality, but uh, similar in purpose. Yeah, exactly. We and there are stack views on OS 10 as well, but they're two dimensional, right? They can either be vertical, vertical or horizontal, but they're one stack of things. And if you want to do something more than that, you can embed stack views in other stack views and whatever. And of course, you do that. But grid view is like a 2D stack view, so you can lay stuff out in rows and columns. Very cool. I will be more excited when it actually works. There's also no documentation for it other than just reading through the headers and it, it the API looks well designed but it's not like two methods. It's pretty it's actually a handful of classes and plenty of methods and properties on each one. Awesome. I have one thing to say about this, about the Mac OS rebranding. Yeah. I think it's great, but I'm a little sad that you'll no longer be able to not take someone seriously when they say OS X. Yeah, but people are going to call it MacOS, and then you'll, <laughs> then you'll be able to dismiss them. Yeah, you're totally right. That's going to happen. We, <laughs> we also just get to take them even less seriously if they still say OS X. Yeah, well, that, that, that too. <laughs> That's totally right. 
All right. You got me. Yeah, I'm I'm fine with it. I mean, it's a little sad because it's kind of like the end of an era, and I have been an OS X developer for a long time, and it's been a big part of my life, and now I've got this lame lowercase m on my operating system. But I'm sure I'll get used to it. And who knows, it probably won't stick around forever. It'll be, you know, merged with iOS and changed to something else. I'm just sad they didn't bring out a coffin, you know, and put it in there. <laughs> yeah, they don't do that stuff so much anymore. No, the they're most- not... Not as cool as Steve Jobs. No, they're not. The most theatrical they get is Eddie Q doing a bad dance, I think. <laughs> I'm so sad we missed that this year, the Eddie Q dance. Well, I must say that as much as I did not like the Apple Music section of the keynote, the presenter did a great job. I just think Apple Music is not for me. You know, I'm, I sure. already gave up on it. They're going to be hard-pressed to win me back, and it's just sort of boring for me to watch that during a developer keynote. The yeah, nice thing I, was how short they kept it, though. Last year, it was so long with multiple speakers, and this one was felt a lot cleaner and and more concise. Yeah, I mean they didn't they didn't invite Drake back, so at least at least there was that. Oh man, I think we could do a whole hour long talk about last year's Apple Music keynote. Oh, it was just it was horrible. It was the worst. My my most you know, retweeted and favorited tweet of all time is some mean comment I made during that. Last year. <laughs> uh, Caleb, what about you? What stuck out to you? Well, if you know me at all, you know that what stuck out to me the most was Swift Playgrounds and that whole section of the keynote on learning to code and, you know, Apple's new initiative that they're putting out there saying everyone can code. And I'm not sure I 100% buy into the fact that everybody can code. You know, there's there's some debate there. But I feel like everyone should try to. And I feel like this is a, a great way for Apple to put Swift out in a very accessible way to classrooms, to people who only have iPads and not Macs. And, you know, people that want to just experiment with this stuff in a way that isn't intimidating, it's not as intimidating as a, you know, a big technical book, but it's also more powerful and more, more interesting than maybe some of the little block based languages where you kind of tie things together in succession and make the app work. And the playgrounds start off that way with some of the sample stuff they have in there with the move forward, collect gem type stuff. But uh, I was playing with this this morning, and you can do everything. I mean, you can you can do networking, you can do AV Foundation stuff, you can do all types of stuff in in these uh, Swift playgrounds on the iPad. So it's it's a lot of fun, and that was definitely the biggest thing that stood out to me from the the whole event so far. Yeah, that was pretty cool. I know Andrew, you were looking forward to Swift playgrounds. I, I was a little surprised initially that they spent so much time talking about the learning to code aspect and showing, you know, the thing where you move forward, move forward, grab the, whatever that thing it was, because that's been done. I mean, a number of times there are a bunch of things like that, like a light bot, hour of code, code.org, where you're doing similar things like that. Then I thought about it for a little bit longer and it's, I realized it's more of a long play for Swift. Get kids in there, people learning to code, learning Swift. So I think it's, while they gave it a lot of, time during the keynote when it wasn't really revolutionary it kind of gives a it's a more of a longer play so i thought that was pretty cool yeah so i do want to just say i called it i 
talked about this on, on our last episode of iFreaks um, last week when we were doing predictions, and I had not actually seen a rumor about it. Maybe it was rumored. I don't know, but it was just sort of – I really wanted it to happen, and I, and I think it – is really cool. I think software at its best and, um, you know, certainly development environments at their best are really good at being discoverable and easy to jump into. And I think that just, just from the, the presentation, I have not played with it yet, but Apple's done a good job with that. They want it to be something a kid can start with and immediately see results and have fun. But when they're doing something really wonderful, they don't let it stop there and they make it so you can dig in as deep, deeply as you want. And, you know, it's not some toy. It's actually a real thing. So I'm I'm interested to see what I can do with it as a developer that already knows Swift and already knows iOS programming. I also just wanted to mention that Jonathan Penn uh, was one of the one of the people on the team working on that, which is kind of exciting. He's a friend of the show, a former guest on the show uh, before he was at Apple. So um, seems like he's doing some cool stuff. Yeah, I started really taking that Playgrounds app seriously when I saw the session and he imported UI Kit into the playground and was like making views at everything right on his iPad. It was amazing. You know, up my alley, they mentioned, um, I think they showed a slide with a Sphero and mentioned being able to talk to hardware, which is really cool. Yes. I want to see some of that in action. Cause that would be, I mean, for a kid or anyone, I mean, that'd be just super cool to be able to input code and watch a physical device move around. So awesome. Caleb, you said you had installed this or installed iOS 10 on your iPad, and, and I think that comes with Swift Playground. So have you had a chance to play around with it at all? Yeah, so this morning I was trying out, uh, I, w- I was working with NSURL session. I was trying to access a couple of different APIs and, and thinking about different ways that uh, I teach a couple of things to students at, at Dev Mountain and and... I did get caught up in, in uh, Swift 3 syntax a little bit, kind of, you know, instead of NSURL session, shared session, it's, you know, URL session shared. And so some of the syntax things caught up with me a little bit, but uh, overall, it's just an awesome tool with, you know, we've got access to every framework that I tried this morning is is available and you can just set up your code to run a live view and that's what displays there on the right hand side and you know you can't compile a whole app using swift playgrounds but you can certainly build some really interesting stuff with it so i'm i'm very excited about it i just barely dug into this but they they seem to have opened up the format that they're using for playgrounds in swift playgrounds on ipad and it looked to me like you could deliver your, you, you know, at least at some point you'll be able to deliver your own playground lessons or whatever you want to call it. Does that, yeah. Do you know? Yeah. They are wanting people to more or less submit content. And I don't know if that means Apple is crowdsourcing content to put into playgrounds, but it's definitely been a topic of discussion with different teachers and, and other educators here about how to distribute this stuff and how to collect it back. And I know that's an ongoing discussion. I haven't heard any firm answers on any of it, but I know it's something that's being talked about. I also thought it was interesting. I didn't see it. Maybe it was talked about. I I should actually have watched. I should be watching the sessions more than I am, but it is my week off, right? I thought it was interesting that it wasn't maybe mentioned in the keynote or at least not emphasized, but they seem to have also released some non-software curriculum material like a teacher's guide i think 
for it? Yes, that's that seems to be a a big portion of this everyone can code initiative, which is getting resources into the hands of people that want to learn to code, but also the people that can teach people to code. So right on Apple's site, if you go to uh, they, they have a landing page for everyone can code. So apple.com slash education slash everyone can code. And right there on the homepage, there's a Swift Playgrounds teacher guide that is meant for teachers putting programs together with Swift Playgrounds. And I know there are quite a few non-iOS developer, but Apple oriented teachers here that I've met at the conference. And so I, the vibe that I get is Apple has brought in a number of teachers to work with this stuff and, and hopefully get it in place in, in schools. Oh, that's cool. That's pretty exciting stuff. It's, it's fun to see Apple. I mean, this is a direction I don't think they've really gone in before. Apple's always been very involved in education and the education market has always been really important for them. But uh, in terms of teaching people how to code, I don't think that's something they've really done before. So one of the announcements I was really excited about was, you know, Swift is coming, Swift 3 is coming, and everyone's been worried about your apps breaking, all your dependencies breaking. And I thought it was really cool that Xcode 8 is going to include both the 2.3 and the 3.0 libraries, the Swift libraries, so you can update at your will. I think that's a real strong selling point for migrating when you're ready to, not because the new version of Xcode comes out. Yeah, this makes it a little easier migration for those of us who already have a significant amount of code in Swift 2.2. Yep, I'm not running, I'm not running that migration script, just not doing it. So. <laughs> Certainly not doing it right now. Maybe when the thing actually ships, Xcode 8 actually ships, I'll try it, but I'll have things very well committed and pushed to <laughs> my repository. You don't want to run that migration in an open branch? I mean, come on. I, I, I don't know. I don't really put my stuff in Git. No. <laughs> Use Dropbox? Just, just Dropbox. Yeah, yeah, no, I just have named folders. Uh, you know, I, we ran the migrations last year, and they actually worked really well. And we have quite a bit of Swift code. I, I'm kind of teasing, although every time I've run the migrations, it's kind of fixed some stuff, but you still have to go through by hand. And Swift 3 and fix other stuff. And Swift 3 is by far the biggest change they've ever done. Yeah, it's it's huge. And I... We have probably like five times as much Swift code this year as we did last year. And I'm really nervous actually about the migration because it, it could be bad, bad news bears. This is an area that Apple's definitely thinking about their messaging. They spent a good while today talking about how much Swift code they have as an organization now and how they're rewriting portions of the dock and other really important features in Mac OS. And they mentioned that the new Swift Playgrounds app is completely written in Swift. And so Apple's trying to ease our concerns about having a lot of Swift code in our applications by, you know, talking about how much Swift code they're writing and how important that is for them. So hopefully things like the, the migration script are rock solid because Apple is needing to dog food those and, and use them themselves as well. Yeah. It seems like they're trying to give confidence to everybody, you know, saying, Hey, we're, you're not the only ones using this. Like we're using it too. That's something that's been a gradual change for them. 
I guess they're using it increasingly, but they still are also writing a lot of Objective-C. But I was just saying, I think it's interesting that, that Apple is using um, Swift increasingly. It's something they can't really, they can't switch away from Objective-C at least until Swift has ABI stability. And of course, they can't really for long after that for writing frameworks that already exist. And I do think it's interesting that they did not announce any Swift only or Swift first APIs. All the new stuff in, you know, AppKit and UIKit and whatever is all written in Objective-C. It seems like they're planning for Objective-C to live a long, long life, though, because they keep increasing the compatibility between the two languages. And, like, I'm really excited about a lot of that stuff that they announced. I won't go into the details, but there, there's a lot there that, that they're, they're doing to keep the two languages working really well together. Well, is there anything else that we should really cover? I mean, we certainly have not covered everything that was announced, but uh, don't want to have a three-hour show either. So anything else we should cover before we get to the picks? One last thing that I thought was really cool was uh, the CloudKit sharing with some built-in UI for adding people to uh, shared records in CloudKit. So that, that could be something really interesting moving forward as Apple invests more in CloudKit. That looked really nice, and, and also that they're doing the UI part of that for you, so you don't have to sort of write your own in, in invitation UI. Going along with CloudKit, they also announced that you can now ship apps for macOS that use CloudKit and other previously locked up APIs without shipping on the Mac App Store. So you can distribute apps outside the App Store that use CloudKit and iCloud Drive and push notifications and stuff that was previously App Store only. I really like a lot of the tools in CloudKit. If you're listening to this and you haven't given it a shot, it's it's definitely worth looking at. It's pretty powerful. I was really hoping for some server-side code, maybe next year. Well, there there is a session later this week that's a server-side Swift session, but I have no idea what they're going to show. I mean, it's not, not going to be their own framework, I guess, but it's also sort of weird to to imagine them talking about how to use some open source framework. So I guess we'll see. Yeah, that's, that is interesting. I think the description uh, made it sound like they were presenting some different ongoing projects. So I think some of the different open source stuff will be shared. Maybe IBM's thing. I, I guess I could see IBM's thing since that's really part of a big partnership and was obviously going on before they open source Swift. All right. Well, uh, James, do you want to start us off with picks? Sure. So how many times have you got excited when someone says, hey, let's go to the food court in the mall and get something to eat? Uh, yeah. not, not too, that's, too that's a zero, right? It doesn't happen. So in the past few days, three people have been like, yeah, there's really good food at the West Westgate Mall across the street. So I'm at all comps, so they're not, they're not feeding us. So went over there with a group of people because I wanted to get something quick and get back for the next session and had a really good meal. Yeah, the Mexican place there was really good, and everyone is says, you know, it sounds really lame, but the food here is good. So I didn't think to go to the food court in the mall if I needed a quick bite, but definitely an option and quite good food. So that's my pick, Westfield Mall Food Court. There's actually a surprisingly decent ramen place in that food court, and there's a Beard Papa cream puff place, so. I agree with that pick. Uh, let's see. Caleb, do you have some picks for us? Yeah. So my obvious pick is if you have an extra device, an extra iPad that you can install the developer preview of iOS 10 on, uh, play around with Playgrounds. A uh, lot, lot of fun and really cool stuff there. My second pick would be the Funko Pop t-shirts. Funko gets some cool licenses to things that we're all fans of. 
you know, different superhero movies and Star Wars and uh, stuff like that. And they've got some really awesome Star Wars t-shirts, one of which I am wearing right now. I didn't know they had t-shirts. I know they've got just about every licensed thing under the sun for their figures, I mean. Yeah, so a lot of people are familiar with the figures, but the the t-shirts are a lot of fun too. So uh, I, this is this is my Disneyland t-shirt. Uh, it's it's a little bit different than all of the other t-shirts at Disneyland, but still got some you know Disney heritage now with with Star Wars being owned by by Disney. Cool, Lane. Do you have some picks for us? I do have one. So um, I got the uh, smart keyboard for the iPad Pro. And I was super skeptical that I would like it. And it is now, after just a little bit of time, one of my favorite keyboards. It is really, really well made, uh, super portable, and I can type really well on it. I think it's great. Do you have the 9.7 inch or the 12 inch? I, I have the 12, yeah, 12.9. I've got a 9.7 inch iPad Pro, and I've been very tempted to buy the keyboard for it. Yeah, I know it's a little smaller, but you know the basics of it are the same. And, and it's it's a very good keyboard. I like it a lot. Well, I tried it out in the Apple store yesterday and it actually did seem really nice. So I just have to decide I want to spend $150 on it. Yeah, the the price is ridiculous. It feels like I spent way too much money, but I do type on it. And so that is good. Nice. Well, I've got a couple picks. My first pick is going to be a WWDC app for Mac OS. It's, a, it's actually an open source app. Um, it's on GitHub, but it's just a Mac app that lets you see all the, see the schedule, watch, you know, see the descriptions of the sessions and watch the live videos. And it even integrates with ASCII WWDC. So you can search through transcripts of past sessions and it's it's pretty nicely done and and it's open source and accepting pull requests too. So if you want to, you know, work on it, that is an option. And then my other pick is somewhat self-serving, but it's a, it's a blog post that I put up earlier today about a new feature in objective C that was as far as I have heard, not talked about at WWDC at all, but it is, it is there in Xcode eight and that is class properties in objective C. So now you can have properties on a class instead of on an instance of a class in objective C. And of course this is something they added to make bridging into Swift nicer, but it, but it's also nice even in just pure objective C code. So those are my picks. Thanks everybody for coming on. Yeah, cool stuff. Looking forward to seeing what happens the rest of the week. I'm jealous of you two in San Francisco. Well, maybe next year, Andrew. Maybe next year. All right, well, that's it. Uh, This was a special episode, but we'll be back to our regularly scheduled programming, I think, on Thursday. Bye, everybody. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by CashFly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with CashFly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.